Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show this week, what's been going on at S4C? And when should governments interfere with the media? Not at all, according to Jeff Zucker, as he insists Abu Dhabi will stay clear of editorial at The Telegraph. Is that even possible? Our panel discusses all of this, plus the Newsnight cuts that have been confirmed. Uh, and in the media quiz, we mumble the headlines. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In news this week, everyone's favourite madman, Elon Musk, had tough love for advertisers fleeing X, telling the New York Times the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company before adding, if someone's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money. Go fuck yourself. Lovely. Uh, Netflix has been accused by Ofcom of exaggerating the threat of new streaming laws. Uh, the regulator's chair, Michael Grade, was speaking at the Voice of the Viewer and Listener conference on Wednesday and said the streamers were attempting to frighten the life out of everybody by claiming that they will need to purge content from their platforms to avoid falling foul of the new laws. And many an audio producer and music lover is scanning through their Spotify stats today as the platform has revealed its annual audit on consumer usage. Uh, innovations include a video message from your favourite music artist of the year thanking you for your listening. Uh, maybe you'll get one from me next year uh, for me being your favourite podcast host. We'll see. Now joining me at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back media writer Tara Conlon. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, it's lovely to see you in person. Um, nice to see you too. Have you been watching Squid Game? I have, actually. This is the, the new the new version of Squid Game. Yeah, Squid Game, the challenge. So it's real-life Squid Game. And, yeah, I went to the screening of um, the first episode last week, I think it was now. And, yeah, I loved it. I have to say, it's the scale of it, the gameplay, just the attention to detail and actually the backstories of the contestants. Great casting, it's, you know, really well edited. But just the huge, you know, from a TV geek point of view, mm. having that many you know over 400 contestants it's just extraordinary but aside from the scale it's it's really interesting to watch and it's I mean it's you know really well edited as well is it a UK show is it Studio Lambert it's a Studio Lambert and The Garden so it's co-production between the two of them um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 is epic. I mean, it's doing. I think it's got about twenty million views in the first week worldwide. Um, I think that's worldwide. Mm. Um, and that's about two million after five days, according to Barb in the UK. Because it's, so it's rare for it's rare for a show to kind of hit the Barb streaming rankings, isn't it? Exactly. Yes, I think was it Clarkson Farm got about four million, but that was post. Meghan Markle mm. and no one on, you know, Squid Game have, had to <laughs> slag off Meghan Markle to get into the ratings. Although Clarkson's Farm is very good. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really, for an unscripted show, um, obviously The Crown's been out a couple of weeks, but it's doing, you know, sort of almost double what The Crown is doing for an unscripted show to get that kind of level. I mean, they must be very, very I mean, pleased. Netflix has been doing a little bit of this recently, haven't they? A, a, a bit more quiz showy, fact-denty mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it's got to be pretty encouraging for them, even though I'm sure it was hugely expensive to make. 
Yes, I think so. I mean, off the back of the the drama, they obviously thought, what more can we do out of this? And Studio Lambert and the Garden, with their background and their pedigree, were the ones to kind of take it on and, and make that happen. It was a you know, it was a big, it was a big ask, but they, I think they were the you know the people to do it. But it is really interesting. I mean, I'm so old; I can remember talking to Netflix years ago when they first started out, and they said they wouldn't do those big kind of entertainment mm. sort of shows, but they have, and they've done them really well. And it's set a new bar, I think. You know, in those big kind of um, reality. I mean, it's you know, it, it's high caliber. It's got a reality. bit of Big Brother in there. It's a bit of game yeah. show in there. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, the sets are amazing. Mm. I mean, for me, it lends itself to a location-based entertainment deal to happen Mm. a bit like crystal maze you know Mm. so viewers can go and immerse themselves in it now they've shown it can be played by real people to chisel a bit of biscuit uh, they can do that (laughs) well Uh, exactly you can but you can i'm sure you can buy the biscuits (laughs) and next to tara we've got the head of commercial marketing at bauer george butler hello george hello matt have you been watching uh, squid game the series i have um i'm probably about halfway through Mm. it it is amazing i just think whoever has been in charge of casting that show what a great job they've done. But also 450 people and then half of them, no spoilers, half of them go in the sort of first, yeah. the first episode. That's got, yeah. that's got to be a killer. I mean, yeah, you can imagine if you were one of the kind of the casting execs and you brought in 10 people <laughs> and they're all gone before they've even hit the camera. But it is brilliant. I mean, the way that they've kind of got these, these, these character arcs where you think someone's a villain and you quite like them and then you, you think they're awful again mm. and it is geniusly casted. Um, very, very, very clever. Well, go and watch it on Netflix. I mean, sort of speaking of kind of reality telly, these shows love a radio personality don't they and and definitely in uh, i'm a celebrity this year lots of radio and audio folk yeah i mean obviously sam thompson hits radio staying relevant uh, podcast um marvin's in there obviously capital and, and heart um there's there is there is another presenter from another radio station uh slightly more controversial than sam and marvin but um yeah lucy cave who heads up our podcasts at bowie she's wrote uh, she's written a really interesting piece in in the media leader about why I'm a celebrity, but actually reality shows in general love a radio and podcast host. And it's because they've got those skills of communicating with the audience, having that kind of compassion and understanding of what is going on in people's lives and just being able to connect with people and doing that on a day to day basis uh, and really having that kind of personal, uniquely intimate relationship with the audience that really only radio and and, and podcast can do. it translates so well when they're in the camp, obviously with their campmates, but equally with, with all the millions watching at home. Um, they just make the best campmates. And you've seen it, obviously, you know, Series 1, Tony Blackburn, and Jordan North, Fleur Easton, amazingly. And I think Sam could do pretty well, well this year. Well, I, I did enjoy Sam mentioning the British Podcast Awards listeners' <laughs> yes. choice. Uh, with obviously, yes. have a little bit of background in that. So, Compared always... to Britney and was it the Grammys or the yes, MTV? Yeah, the, the Grammys. Grammys. Yeah, yeah. Exactly where it should be. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, now, ongoing soap opera of The Telegraph. So the auction's been paused uh, and Jeff Zucker has appeared as the main character, insisting that concerns about editorial influence are misplaced. Uh, this is because of his beard, isn't it, Tara? Yes. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's such a saga. I don't know if you've read Jane Martinson's book no, about it, the bug, it but it's read? really good, really good. Um, and it is, it is a saga, as you say. There is now, I think the deadline is tomorrow, isn't it, as to when they are supposed to have finalised everything. And um, But it's got, it's got politics in it. It's got, um, you know, big money. It's got Middle East money. And I think the interesting thing is Lucy Fraser has said that she might intervene on the grounds of... Um, public interest well, and intervention you, notice. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Zucker, ex-CNN, has a kind of investment firm, Redbird, mm. that it seems 
seems like the main supporters of who the kind of Abu Dhabi cash have kind of gone, please go for the Telegraph on, on our behalf. Um, he's been somewhat roughed up by the by Fleet Street, hasn't mm-hmm. he? I don't know whether he thought this would be happening, but it does. They can certainly turn, can't they, when they want to? Well, I think particularly when you've got the mail obviously as, as an interested party um, because they want to buy it as well and David Montgomery uh, so it's not really surprising if other you know interested parties who have um, their own newspapers are are going to have a particular point of view on it um, but it's influence that's the, that's the key isn't it it's about influence and politics um, and uh, foreign money and where it will end up, I mean, it's just an extraordinary tale, isn't it, about a newspaper in a time when you think that newspapers are declining, but their perceived political interest is considered very important to people with a lot of money. Uh, and they've talked a lot about the potential for it to work overseas. Uh, so um, taking a sort of soft right wing uh, paper, particularly to America, where obviously there's lots of very, very right wing press that does quite well. Um, you're an international business in Bauer. Uh, does everything work in every market? Can you can you easily take a brand and drop it somewhere else? I think, you know, Bauer, the Bauer model is we're very much an international business. But as it stands, there isn't too much crossover, you know, with, with the brands. So, you know, you, you don't really have Absolute Radio Germany or Absolute Radio Poland. So um, I think, you know, our model is very different. Um, each market kind of has, uh, you know, their own brands that, that kind of are allowed to do what they, 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 they do best. Um, and the kind of the synergies come at the level above. Mm. And, and that's where we kind of really feel the power of being an international organisation. So like tech or, or platforms? Or yeah, whether like it's that. innovation, whether mm. it's tech, whether it's, you know, products. Um, even from a, a commercial point of view, there's there's kind of the ability to have a, a strategy which sits beyond just one nation. So there are massive advantages to it. And you can really kind of leverage, you know, the, the, the international scales there. But um, yeah, very different, I suppose, to kind of taking one of our brands and mm. putting into one of the different countries but that said podcasts uh, are a space where especially with the kind of the translation abilities that are available in audio these days i think that is a really interesting space where which we are looking at um so you know there are there are things that you and can easy, do. easier to test out on a podcast than it is a, a radio station um, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued with the telegraph this thing about kind of jeff being roughed up because there's kind of an immerter of owners isn't there once you become an owner you become untouchable they don't so, really tend to kick it, give each other a kick in so much. No, sometimes, sometimes they do. I mean, I'm just trying to remember, you know, when I used to work on the Daily Mail and obviously writing about telly, writing about media, sometimes it does cross over. Um, when it comes to something like this, there is, I mean, they work across different, so many different platforms now. You know, it's not just newspapers, newspapers, they've got podcasts, they've got video. So no one really is a disinterested party mm. writing about media these days. Everyone's got something in the game. Um, uh, over S4C, uh, The Guardian have reported on Thursday that the Welsh language broadcast has been the subject of a scathing letter by former head Sean Doyle. Tara Doyle was let go earlier this year after accusations of bullying, uh, something she denies. Do we know what the letter says? Well, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's contentious. And, and for me, it sort of speaks to a wider issue about what's going on in television um there is um i think the film and tv and film charity have done quite a lot of work on this about perceived bullying um and how you manage 
staff within media, within a fast-paced media industry, I think is is really important. And I think it, it I think it speaks to that. And I think it's become a, sort of a lightning rod, I would say, perhaps for that as well. Uh, George, S4C's sort of taxpayer-funded, obviously sort of similar-ish to the BBC. The money comes in a sort of rounded route uh, back through uh, to them. They don't seem that interested in getting involved as they do with the BBC. Is it because there's just no no headlines for them talking about what's happening in, in Cardiff? I mean, S4C has had a lot of trouble recently. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to be sort of stopping anytime soon. Well, it, it, it's, it's interesting what you say, actually, because... Um, what you said about is it why is it not getting as much coverage because it is you know it's publicly funded and the same happened with local radio i wrote a story recently about bbc local radio and whether or not because it is outside of the sort of london bubble it perhaps i think doesn't get the attention that it should have done and i i know i think um, broadcast magazine has done quite a bit about s4c uh, um, as well and and I think it should be spotlighted, you know, just because it's in the regions that, you know, or, or in a nation, that doesn't mean that it isn't important. And uh, it was the same with local radio uh, and anything about the culture and the funding, I think, is really important. It should be highlighted. It should be looked at and investigated in the same way as something, you know, at the BBC. I mean, you see, George, don't you, that... Obviously, Liz Truss came um, apart somewhat when she was faced with uh, BBC local radio uh, journalists. Um, it's easy to ignore what's going on outside of London. It very much is. But I think it's it's a broader media land thing. I mean, you know, we we work with a lot of advertisers and a lot of them, a lot of the media uh, you know, planners, a lot of the media strategists, owners, creatives, they're based in London. And typically you get the tube to work. And that means you don't listen to the radio in the morning. So sometimes we do come across that where we're we're going and we're talking about breakfast shows or we're talking about stations that have millions of listeners, and you get you get faced with a reaction that's like, oh, really? Dave Berry gets that many million? Yeah, yeah. So I think there is that thing where we we are we do you know we're probably all a part of the the London bubble in in, in a sense, but actually you, you do have to look a bit at outside of your own media mm. consumption sometimes don't you it's, to kind of realize what the, yeah, the, the nation is doing the nation yeah. is consuming to, to map your own thoughts that like surely everybody consumes everything this way and that's a, a very good point and i think it's a wider point about this switch over to you know switching off the old school broadcast as we call it um tv signal the getting yes. rid of linear channels and moving over to internet tv and a, there's a still a big percentage of the population who won't be able to do that for whether or not it's they can't get the signal or whether or not they can't afford you know the streaming and um, it's quite difficult to remind some people some tv executives that there are people out there who are going to be affected by this and it's not as easy i mean the bbc is supposed to be you know switching and talking about it you know for the next charter itv you know channel four if they don't take account of taking on what people are saying, you know, on the ground, like with local radios, mm. about six million people listen to BBC local radio, I'm talking about that. You know, that's a big groundswell of opinion, actually. And it's got to be thought about. And I know that they're thinking about it long term, but how do we sort of manage this migration over to internet um, TV? Uh, but it, 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 you sort of ignore that groundswell of public opinion at your peril, really. I think the other thing as well is, we must always remember that 
especially when when cost of living is as difficult as it is for younger people who want to get into media it is now probably harder than ever to come down to london take that you know internship that doesn't pay very much or do that kind of junior gig and actually you know there is amazing talent all across the uk and and you know at bow we've got stations in in you know scotland or you know hits radios around in manchester so you know we, we are across the uk but we find with and, and Matt, you're a big supporter of the Young Audio Awards, which is uh, an awards for young people all across the UK. And we find with our entries, there is so much amazing talent and it's from all across the UK. And, and often it can just be, you know, I've done some stuff for screen skills and, mm. you know, getting bursaries just for wet weather gear or to just get down to to London, say, for an audition or to Manchester or where, wherever. These will seem like minute amounts of money in a four billion pound, mm. you know, UK TV industry. That's just the TV side. But this is, you know, the the reality of life for lots of people. Uh, well, something that's been affected by the change in consumer behaviour, well, that's what they're saying, is Newsnight's going to be cut to 30 minutes. It was revealed on Thursday, uh, in part due to uh, the licence fee freeze, also declining audiences. I think, Tara, about 30 jobs are going, particularly the people who make packages for the show, and it's going to be left to be more kind of interviews and, and panel discussion, which they do have on that programme most nights. Um, some of that work's going to reappear as the BBC News Investigations Unit. Are they right to make this cut? The show's down to around about 300,000 viewers a night. I can see I can see why they would do it, because from a sort of cost-benefit analysis point of view. Um, but there is something about that programme, isn't there, that particularly within the news community, within journalism, it's it's broken so many amazing stories over the years. It's it it's we have the heritage of Paxman, amazing Kirsty. But should Walk. a show like that have sixty should sixty people work on some television that only three hundred thousand people watch uh, a night? But that's public service, isn't it? It's public service broadcasting it, having to make that kind of call, I know they have to because of the license freeze. I can see why on paper they need to do it, but but I think it's it's sad because of the kind of journalism and the, the agenda-setting journalism that it used to do. I know the landscape is changing. We're in a world of TikTok and breaking news and we consume news in different ways. And they are, the BBC are looking to get younger audiences in and get younger audiences into news. But then you have to think, well, how do they get that across? Because putting it all into TikTok... It's, sure, it's, it's problematic. But they like, they just announced they're going to make one o'clock news uh, half an hour longer. So it's going to be an hour long show, a bit more of BBC Breakfast. Obviously, there's still Panorama that that pops up. Kind of, I sort of feel like there are other places for this to go. Like sometimes it's like we must protect protect Newsnight at all costs. But sort of protecting it, I'm not always sure is entirely the right thing to do. Yeah, it can't be an aspic, and maybe yes. you know, maybe reducing it. It's only by ten minutes. And and actually, as Deborah Toness said, they've managed to keep it five days a week, and it. This story's been going on for years about will Newsnight be axed? Um, and they have, to their great credit, managed to keep it five days a week and make it half an hour. And, you know, who knows, it might reinvigorate it, but it, it does seem still seem sad. Well, George, speaking of Deborah Tanes, she mentioned that podcasts are potentially the reason that these changes are happening because a lot of people get, I'm going to get the quote right, high fibre premium quality conversations in podcasts. Um, I guess you're talking about news podcasts, particularly. You see things like the, the news agents uh, doing quite well, even like the rest is politics. Are there people that would have stayed up at 10.45 to consume some politics they can get at 5pm when the news agents drops? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure absolutely that's the case. And I'm sure there are people that, you know, want to consume news agents and news night. But, I'm, I, you know, without a doubt, 
there are there is so many options available to consumers. I think the other thing as well, obviously, the BBC has to continually think about the demographics of audience that they want to reach for their sustainability going forward, and you know, looking at who's watching Newsnight. Um, mm. Whereas that kind of that five million that they they're going to save and where it can be reinvested into obviously into digital a lot more, how that can attract um, an audience that perhaps they're not reaching quite as much. Um, across you know linear television so i think there is i reckon you know that's probably a, a big big part of their thinking but that political podcast landscape right now is doing so incredibly well isn't it i mean there are four or five massive massive podcast series uh, in that space that you know as, as you said i'm sure people are listening on their way home from work um and then at 10 10 10 p.m they're watching squid games obviously yeah 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 it maybe i just it's just the way that our viewing is is changing yeah. i'm also interested whether the ratings stay roughly the same in a reversioned show. They I, might do. I think it I, yeah, yeah, it and might do. And they might not do, fall what, asleep for the last 10 minutes. So yeah, and also, yeah. what do people look for in that brand? I think often when you think about News Night, I'm not, I sound like I'm having a real downer on the well-produced uh, uh, packages that they're making, but the things people remember often are the studio-based jousting, uh, which, which will still remain. Uh, right, so we're back with more media news after this. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Tara and Georgia here for some more stories. Uh, over to Channel 4, a chief uh, exec, uh, Alex Mann, has said that the ad slump is the worst in 15 years. Uh, she was speaking to the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee on Tuesday. Um, Tara, not a surprise, um, but that sort of takes us back to the 2008 financial crash, which seemed sort of epic in scale. Maybe people are surprised that it's as bad as it was. I think that's the thing they thought the the, the last quarter um, would be there would be an uptick. You know, people I was talking to sort of in the summer were much more optimistic about this the Q4, and it hasn't really happened as they as they hoped. So you know, we'll put it into deficit, and they're talking about having to tap into their was it seventy five million credit facility, which they've sort of been loath to do. Yeah. But have sort of slightly screwed over all the production companies by, well, this by is pushing the, the risk to them. That's the thing. I, I mean, I've spoken to a few producers and they are pretty annoyed, to put it mildly. One of them in particular, a very senior one, I haven't seen him so angry for quite ever, actually. Um, well, especially when they've got access to the money and it doesn't really have any impact for them other than perhaps politically to use Well, I it. think it's been the communication as mm. well. They feel that Channel 4 was not as upfront, perhaps, as they felt that they could have been about what was happening. Equally, I can see Channel 4's point of view that perhaps they you know, we're sort of learning and hoping that things would improve. But um, for a lot of indies, obviously, it's a regular source um, of of work for them. And they're just not commissioning as much, I think, as Alex said to the committee, they're not commissioning as much as they would now. And there are production companies which are, particularly small ones, which are suffering because, you know, BBC is... Cutting back particularly in daytime, mm. there's a couple of stories about that, about them losing some 
shows, a couple of indies which have closed down because there isn't that same opportunity available. But I think people will be understanding of Channel 4 if they communicate it. And I think, unfortunately as well, you've got the salaries, you know, you've got Alex's salary, which grabbed a lot of headlines, the in- the um, the incentive for people to stay yes. or relocate. Through a huge amount of change. I mean, yeah, they needed exactly. them to, to stay. When exactly. It was but not looking particularly good for Channel 4, was no, it? No, exactly. And that's caught up and kicking in at a really bad time for them as well. And that's, that's you know, grabbing the headlines. So they're sort of hemmed in from all sides. And that's why Alex was asked, you know, you're going to be staying. And she gave the answer, something about, oh, as long as I'm relevant to the business. Yes. Um, which I thought was a And she said, quite most of the rumours are untrue. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing. There are constantly rumours about her going and Ian Katz going mm. and, you know. Uh, Actually, they both had a good run. If you look at the yeah, sort of absolutely. pantheon of those people, they've done a, a similar amount of time and done more yeah. than some, some previous chief execs. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah. For, for media, that's, you know, for telly, it's quite a long time actually to be in, in one place. There's usually the merry-go-round of controllers and uh, and, and execs. So uh, it will, yeah, it will be interesting to see how they come out of, how do they come out of this? I mean, George, the commercial market, ad market, has been pretty tough this year. Uh, and there hasn't been really a lot of visibility for anyone, has there? Yeah, I mean, I think uncertainty is the kryptonite of advertising. Mm. It's not even when times are bad, it's when you don't know what is next. That is the thing that, is always the most challenging thing with the marketeers. And I think obviously from a media owner perspective, it's it's frustrating because you, you we know that the research is there that if you continue to advertise in, in difficult times, you see such huge benefits in the long run and the market share gains that you can make. And start um, back faster than your competitors. I mean, massively so. Mm. And, and there's a, an immense amount of research around it. But yet it has been a difficult time um, for, for pretty much all traditional media. But... I, I do also feel like there has been a sense of more stability in Q4. Mm. And obviously going into the new year, we have to hope that we don't have more societal and political mm. uh, chaos, which, you know, right now is never a sure thing. But I do get the sense that, that things are becoming a bit more stable. There is more confidence in both the media and advertising in uh, markets. And I'm quite quietly but not so quietly on a podcast optimistic <laughs> about um q1 and all of next year i think it, i think we're going to that the whole market's just going to kind of calm down a little bit and we're all going to kind of go slightly back to well, to, to, to to as it was that's a good prediction i mean talking talking about um uh things changing loads of changes at bauer i'm yeah. going to reel them off uh we've got a new corporate ban for bauer media and you've you've brought me in a lovely new branded cake which i yes. will show the youtube uh, audience there you go um, thank you for the cake uh, we've got new branding across all of Bauer we've got personnel changes uh, we've lost the MD of Northern Ireland plus departures of Graham Bryce and Steve Parkinson have been there quite a while uh, and you're taking down your stations from satellite and cable TV platforms but leaving them on Freeview yep Lots of unpick there. Mm-hmm. I'm so um, glad we booked you before all of these things <laughs> happened yeah Very well, I mean yeah firstly obviously it's it's always you know sad to say to amazingly talented people uh, who have done amazing things um, uh, in in uh, the business. It's, you know, going on to the, 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 the digital TV point, I, I, I wrote the stat down because I thought you might bring it up, but it, it's 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 very low. The the kind of the percentage of all radio listening done on all digital television is 4%. So yes. it's, it's, a, it's a very small figure. And I think as households now, the mass adoption of smart speakers has completely changed the audio landscape. And that is 
at a huge growth area. We're seeing kind of an incredible um, success with, with with smart speaker listening. And you know, obviously, from an advertising point of view and a broadcast point of view, it's opening up. The, the opportunity to do some really, really interesting things, whether it's fun kids offering spin-off stations or absolute offering spin-off stations, whether um, that's an advertiser being able to kind of create a really relevant, personalized, customizable message, or actually kind of do really amazing things with advertising where you can interact with an ad and add it to your shopping basket or order it to your house. So smart speakers are at this amazing sweet I mean, spot for th- us. There's so many to do it with telly in the... Um it did really well for radio in the kind of the late nineties into sort of early noughties, kind of pre DAB distribution as well. And, um, and just a great way. I remember getting my on digital box and some of the, the radio stations that appeared on there on there for the first time. Um, but it's not off everything, is it? Like previews, I think it's previews sticking around for, yes. for a bit. So, yeah. so, I, so I think, I think there's, there's kind of certain elements of it. And, and as I said, you want to be as many places you can be the, the, actual kind of percentage of the listening done on, on those devices is incredibly low especially when we're seeing this huge 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 growth in 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 digital devices um and yeah new new brand is is so exciting but i think that new brand kind of represents the quite exciting year ahead for the business there is a lot of change a lot of um positive digital change as well um kind of a big new digital product which is which is coming next year which is going to be really really exciting and obviously for both listeners for the stations for advertisers it's going to be a a, a, hopefully a big game changer so i think next year is a very very exciting year and this new brand is kind of a lovely way to to kick off yes 2024 with with a cake we'll see what that is yes Okay, it's just time for the media quiz, uh, this week entitled The Fine Print. So I'm going to mutter the beginning of a media story under my breath. Jeez. Uh, You listen very closely and tell me what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, It's a best of three, so buzz in with your name if you know the answer. Uh, So George, you will say... George? Yes, and Tara, you will say... George. Can I I just say, uh, uh, the last time I was on on this podcast, I did terribly... Oh, that's so, right. So did I. So did I. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a battle for the bottom. Uh, let's play <laughs> the fine print. Question number one. Netflix owns less than 25... Tara. Tara. What's going on? Um, well, this is about how much um, uh, original content mm. Netflix owns. And I think it was... At, well, they're saying it's... I think it was at Content London, actually, which I was doing a session at this week. Um, Netflix basically said that they actually own less original content now um, than they used to. I think it used to be 50%. It's now down to about 25%. So it's sort of like syndications back, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, they're basically saying we don't want to own everything, independent producers, so please come and, you know, work with us, you know, I, I think is the, is the sort of takeaway from from that, that they're, they're not wanting to just own everything. Okay, point to you. Right, to question number two. The Guardian has struck a TV... Tara. Oh, <laughs> I was... Mm, I'm too See, slow. I should I just let you say oh, no, it. no, no, don't be kind. So just, this is the... There we go. Another crushing defeat. With, um, <laughs> as, I, as I write for The Guardian, I suppose I should know this, but uh, they struck a deal with Sony um, TV Entertainment. I think it was Wayne Garvey who did the deal. Basically a first look deal on any of those sort of stories that, that come up. I mean, that doesn't mean to say, I think you won't find Guardian journalists, you know, write, take, writing like a pitch. They're you not know, going to convert one of your columns into a 10-part <laughs> Netflix special. 
they can try if they like but no I think it can they for, for freelance journalists and for staff can they just go oh we'll have a bit of that well I don't know um, I assume so <laughs> I assume so I haven't seen the fine print um, of it all but uh, yeah it's basically to develop it into long form um, content and you know put it into series or films or or um, yeah well maybe those, just those Adrian Charles memes can become a there become was something, something wasn't there so yeah. I saw someone had tweeted <laughs> a PC did about con- buying condoms or something and said is this going to be a series the whole series I think it was Toby there's the urinals as well we only have <laughs> different uh, question number three um Doctor Who shakes up. George. Right, yes. I've read the story. What's going um, on? They're paying their writers in a different way. Now they've got the big deal with Disney Plus. They are no longer going to be paying their writers per on syndication deals. They're just giving them oh. a, hopefully, big deal up top. And they're just paying them out. Mm. Um, and they're not going to have to pay them for, for plays across the world. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, that writing has become... Uh, you have the writer's strike in America, trying to find new ways to... To, to pay for content is yeah because I think topic. I mean there's a few writers who have there are nearly 900 episodes of Doctor Who out there and it was a good um, way of you know getting residuals mm. meant you get you know you kept getting paid for it so for some writers you know it's 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 going to be really annoying it's like what they called someone said to me earlier the the midsummer mortgage kind of aspect which writers like you know those those mm. often repeated shows and then they get keep getting payments the only thing of course is is I, I, you'd hope the, the strikes have, has changed the landscape a little bit but streaming was paying them peanuts you know I, I, yes. there's 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 somebody that always appears on my tiktok a, a writer who's written loads of comedies in america and he shares his earnings from netflix and disney plus and it's it's nothing it's peanuts it definitely well, changes the way they all think about their jobs yeah well, well that's what we don't know is what yeah. this if it is bigger buyout that, that the writers are being paid now we don't know how much that is but you can see why they've done it because it's going global and so it would be expensive so you can see well, why they've done the we buyout, will keep but. an eye on that well congratulations Tara you finally ascended to the heights of Yay. winning the media quiz thank you uh, George I was happy with but, the point you know I'm a happy but, loser I haven't embarrassed myself better, better, yeah. Yeah. I win the cake well, a little bit but yeah <laughs> uh, and as, as your prize uh, we get to take uh, all of your material from the media podcast over the years and turn it into a new first look deal brilliant Brilliant. Uh, Excellent. So That's all yours. Um, Bad uh, luck. <laughs> uh, thank you uh, to you both. Um, Tara, how can people keep up with your work? It's on the Guardian, Variety, Broadcast, World Television Society, um, Substack, wherever you find those things. Um, Omni, any Omni, of those things. Omni platform. And George? Yeah. Well, um, I suppose I should say, if you're interested in, in Sam Thompson and after he's done so well and I'm a celebrity, get in touch with us about Hits Radio and get in touch with us about Staying Relevant. It's a brilliant podcast. Uh, and of course... So I'm sure you've got some amazing offers. Uh, we've got, we've got offer, it's, 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 yeah. it's, you know, loads of, you know, it's, he's an amazing character. He's going to be, I, at this rate, you know, the way everyone is dropping out or, you know, <laughs> boycotting. He's going to win by default. I, I think, well, no, I think, you know, he's a great personality anyway, but I think, yeah, you know, yeah, I he, think he's, he's definitely another shout. He's brilliant. So there's that. And, and you know, is, is there a breakfast radio show that people should listen yeah, to George also has a, a little side gig don't yeah. you as the fun kids breakfast presenter yeah worth it worth a listen right Matt uh, listen wherever you listen to <laughs> yeah, yeah wherever you listen uh, thank you both <laughs> thank you Matt brilliant 
And that's it from us today at the London Podcast Studios. And if you're thinking about changing up the look of your podcast for 2024, remember you can get 25% off your first booking at this lovely place when you use the code MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com. That's MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com for 25% off. And if you're new to the show, why not hit that follow button and get us in your ears all year round. My name is Matt Deegan. The producer was Ollie Pitt with support from Maya Cedar Lund and Matt Hill. It was a Rethink Audio production. I'll see you next week. Thank you.